Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium podcast and the first of our Redwall series of episodes. I believe we're doing three of these. I am Craig, your host. I'm joined by Ken. Hey, Ken. Hey there. How's it going? <laughs> Ken's internet connection is a thing of beauty right now. So uh, we'll see <sighs> if the delay ends up being too much. But uh, we're also joined by a special guest. You know her as Befuddled Panda, and you will continue knowing her as Befuddled Panda because I'm not <laughs> going to tell you her name. Hi, Panda. Hello, Craig. Hi, Ken. <laughs> Hello. So I just get joy. Here's the deal. Panda. I get joy from you calling me Panda. I'm sorry. That I, you know, it's a great nickname, frankly, and <laughs> so I'm I'm almost sorry that I do know your real name. <laughs> uh, I wish that all I knew was Panda. But I'm anyway, actually glad um, I don't, and I wish that I had a call sign. So, but not one that Craig gave me because heaven forbid what that would be. So here's what <laughs> we're doing today. <laughs> this is the this is the first of our GoFundMe episodes. So for those who might recall, several months ago we got on GoFundMe and did a, a fundraiser for the meetup next year that is happening here in Salt Lake City. Uh, it's going to happen the weekend of February 23rd, 24th. I think that's the Friday, Saturday, so maybe it'll be Saturday, Sunday. Um, more details will be forthcoming, but we're going to be doing that meetup here in Salt Lake. If you are able, if you're in the area already, great. We would love to see you. If you're able to get here, please get here. Meet all of these wonderful friends that you've made on Discord uh, or you know, going back to the Reddit days or gasp in horror the facebook days um but anyway i know that it's a really fun community we've got here and there will be many of us meeting up uh in salt lake so we hope to see you there that's what the gofundme was about but the way we ran the uh fundraiser was uh every dollar someone submitted was one vote that they could submit for their preferred series that or book that we would read next and so many of you voted, much was raised. Thank you very, very much to all of those of you who gave. Uh, but Redwall came out on top. So we're going to be doing three Redwall books, followed by A Wrinkle in Time, followed by A Game of Thrones. Now, let me ask you, what's the opposite of Redwall? It's A Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, so we're going to be kind of running the gamut here. Um, anyway, but in addition to that, I've invited any patrons who would like to participate in these episodes to do so. So that is why Panda is here. So thank you very much, Panda. We uh, are, are glad that you're a patron, but also glad that you had the guts to jump on and uh, talk books with us. Um, I guess it probably doesn't take guts anymore because you do the Green Team podcast, which people should check out. Yes, thank you for plugging the Green Team. Yeah, no, absolutely. You guys are just finishing up, and I'm going to say this right, <clears throat> Malazan. Yeah. Uh, you guys have been doing Malazan for months now, a long, um, long time. Years, year actually. Half, two years, something? <laughs> it's over two years. Yeah, I mean, hey, you don't, you're preaching to the choir. It takes a while. <laughs> um, so yeah, people can check out, if you just go on your podcatcher and search Green Team, you'll find it. They have a similar logo to us, uh, so you'll find Green Team there. Okay. Um, oh, and us. You can find us at thelegendarium.com. Not only will you find past episodes and links to Patreon and Discord, but you'll also find a calendar with upcoming episodes if you want to know what we're going to be covering so that you can read along uh, or check out some of the authors that I'll be talking with. You can do that there at thelegendarium.com. Okay, Redwall. Uh, Redwall. This, this should be an interesting one. Ken, was this your first time through? It was was my first time through and I very much enjoyed it. Oh, okay. well, I shouldn't spoil that, but yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Panda, this was not your first time through, but it was your first time in 20 years or something, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was the same for me. I wore these books out as a kid um, between the ages of like nine and 15 or something. I, I read, I, I didn't read all of the Redwall books, but the ones that we had on our shelves, maybe like 10 of them or something. I, yeah, I, I wore those things out. But this is my first time coming back in literally 20 years at minimum. So uh, it, it felt familiar, like an old shoe, but a shoe that's been in the back of your closet for a long, long time. And 
you forgot it existed for a while. So mm -hmm. that that was my experience. Anyway, it's uh, for <laughs> it's a 1986 <laughs> book by and this is a, just like Malaz and I need to get this right by Brian Jakes. Oh, my goodness. Brian Jakes. And I know that this is I know it's weird for people who don't know that because it looks French. But the thing is, I, I was thinking about this, you guys. Uh, this book is so thoroughly English that <laughs> uh, and this is pure conjecture. I have no other evidence for this, but it's so thoroughly English that I think that he kind of had an anti-French bent. And he's like, well, I'm not going to go by Brian Jacques. That's way too French. It's Jake's. <laughs> thank you very much. You know, I don't know. That's that's there's my head cannon, right? Mm -hmm. um, a little uh, friendly and sometimes less than friendly rivalry between the English and the French. <laughs> it's uh, all all fun, at least from this side of the pond. Uh, okay, so 1986 novel by Brian Jake's uh, about anthropomorphized forest creatures uh, in a swashbuckling medieval adventure. But Ken, do you have a an actual recap for us? I have an actual recap. I, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I was going to say something funny, but no, I actually have a <laughs> recap. So Redwall follows the adventures of residents of the conveniently conveniently named Redwall Abbey and one particularly precocious young field mouse named Matthias. He's an apprentice at the Pacifistic Abbey, but what he really wants to be is a Jedi like his father before him. I mean. He wants to be a warrior mouse monk like Martin, the warrior who founded the Abbey. And it's a good thing, too, because the Abbey gets besotted by the evil Clooney, the Scourge. I should. I be wish I had the flashlight. Besotted? Besought. I'm going to go with besieged on this one. Uh, whatever. <laughs> well, besought first and then besieged. <laughs> We're getting at I do not think this word means what you think it means. <laughs> it gets sat upon by Clooney, the Scourge. And his evil band of rats who want to take Redwall for he wants to take Redwall for his very own. So off Matthias goes with his kindly elderly guardian or guide Methuselah to find the sword of Martin the warrior and protect the Abbey. In and on the in the process, he meets friends, makes enemies, kills enemies. One conveniently, uh, one one snake enemy named Asmodeus, who he has to kill to get the sword, brings a sword. Fights against the siege of Clooney, kills Clooney, marries the girl rat. There you go. Or the girl mouse. Mouse. And they have a baby. Girl mouse. We, we, we're going to talk about the very, very neat divisions of mm -hmm. animal types as we go through this. And that, but I, I honestly, I, I put as much effort into this recap. I, I put effort into the recap, but I put as much effort into the recap as I felt like, um, not that this does this deserves because I feel like it deserves a full recap, but it just it was refreshing to read a book that was not terribly overtly gritty. That it was written for for <laughs> preteens, it was written for kids, and it felt very much like it was written for kids. Even though they there was plenty of death in this book, but it wasn't like George R. R. Martin type death, you know, where people were disemboweled right. and such. It was almost uh, child cartoonish death. In, Ken, you said you enjoyed page. it, right? I really did. I enjoyed this book a lot. It was a refreshing read from a lot of the things that we've read in the past. Good. Yeah, I I and, thought you might. As I was uh, starting the book, if I still had kids that were you know preteens, teenagers, I would be putting this in their hand immediately. So, I yeah, Ken, your connection sucks. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see I how know, this episode goes. Um, but uh, we we'll do the best we can. But I was going to say, Ken, I I was like. I don't know, a third of the way through the book, if that, when um, there's the scene where the rats are climbing a tree, they're going to put a plank across over to the abbey, and climb across the plank and invade the abbey that way. That's their master plan. It doesn't go well. Um, and the, the plank gets kicked down and they fall from the top of this elm tree. I think it was an elm. Anyway. And the leader gets badly injured and gets carted off. But then there are two other rats that fall down. And one of them takes advantage of the situation. He wants to off the other guy who's now injured on the ground. He goes over, stands on his neck yeah. until he dies. And, you know, some characters see this. 
and um and it, you know it's a, a murder has been done you know in a, a, that very right. kind of childlike writing fashion but i got to that part and i was like this is a little more um up front than i expected or remembered i guess um i don't i don't remember quite the level of um i'm gonna use the word brutality but it's definitely like a a, uh toned down not sanitized but more appropriate for children version of brutality um there's like these characters are trying to kill each other and often succeed i don't know panda did you were you surprised by the level of violence in this I don't remember how dark this book actually is in moments. Um, when I was reading it this time, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is much darker. And it's like the descri- some of the descriptions, too. It's like um, with Clooney, like on his standard, he had the skull of some, you know, creature. Um, and he's he, he's like wearing different trophies, like bat wings and all these things. And as a kid, it doesn't really like resonate with me that, oh, you know, he would have killed all these creatures before and he's, like, using their body parts um, as decor. And, yeah, I think, like, as a kid, you just don't really get that. And I think that's okay. Um, as an adult, you pick it up and it would be... Actually, I had, a, I had a question that I wanted to ask the both of you is, like, if you were reading this with your kids, hmm. right, like, what kinds of conversations would you be having with them? What parts would you think warrants some discussion um or not so yeah ken what do you think i i'm hoping that this connection works here. sorry i i shouldn't bring up the connection again but i lost half of that however what i think i heard is uh talking to talking to my kids about about this stuff and that is that's a lot of what i thought in this book is how um, Brian Jakes uh, <laughs> makes it so he, he, he presents it in such a way that you can talk to your kids about it almost in, uh, in my interpretation of how I was reading it. I thought, you know, characters are, are clearly good. They're clearly bad. And these things happen and, and, and they're almost in a tone of this thing that Clooney or, or that uh, uh, the, the shadow rat or uh, cheese thief did clearly are bad this is why they're bad son uh, and you can see that they're bad and and uh, these are these are why matthias is kind-hearted and this is why uh, methuselah is such a, a great and wise advisor and uh, everything is kind of laid out so that you can almost have these conversations with your kids and, and i yeah again i'm probably going to go back to refreshing a lot but it was quite a refreshing read in that sense there's you guys know the um uh, the well-worn feminist phrase uh, you have to we need to teach men not to rape you've heard of this phrase i assume right mm-hmm. it's um it, i i say well-worn you know i think it gets misused often and whatnot but there's some real truth there where um <laughs> people and not not men but uh, just men but people have a sort of natural state that you have to be civilized out of that kind of the violent nature, the take what you want um, and, you know, damn the consequences or whatever. Um, You know, I, I, I smash your head with rock. I take apple. I have apple. I am happy. Right. That kind (laughs) of uh, caveman brain part of all of us. And the violence in this, like if I were reading this with my kids and I, I am absolutely going to hand this to my 10 year old tomorrow and say, you need to read this. You're going to love it. But it is a way for them, like you said, Ken, to see something very, very clear. And it's kind of that beginning process of civilizing someone and teaching them that certain things are bad. And it's an extremely stark example of it. So like you guys were saying the you know Clooney's standard or the the murder in the forest or the i don't know the well the snake isn't a great example but i don't know the betrayal of the foxes and all that stuff you can have some examples very very clear cut examples of this is what makes somebody bad 
This is what makes somebody good. You know, this guy loves war. This guy loves peace. Which one is the good guy, right? And it's <laughs> so it's um, if you're reading this for the first time on a whim, like, and you know, not because somebody asked you to, or, you know, if you're not, I guess if you're following along with us, it's one thing. But if you just kind of pick up the book and say, oh, I, I hear people like this, I'll read this at the age of 35. Then you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so, so simplistic. But if you put your head space into that like nine-year-old uh, area, then suddenly it's like, oh, this is actually very instructive and very easy to understand, kind of in the way that uh, the Perdane Chronicles were when we read those, I think even simpler than those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that answer your question, Panda? Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So... I've got three questions off of Discord from people, so maybe we can uh, run through some of those and then get back to our own things that we want to talk about. Uh, But Kiptan asks us, oh, yeah, okay, here we go. We're going to have to back into this one. What animal did you think you'd like to be? And which one did you think you'd be stuck with if you actually were one? Okay, so (laughs) which one would you like to be? Which one do you think you actually are? Um, so as you guys think about it, I'll explain to anybody who hasn't read along that the divisions, like I said, a a few minutes ago, the divisions here are very, very neat in the same way that we have like that categorical murder is bad. Peace is good. Um, it's very much mice are good guys. Rats are bad guys. Badgers are good guys. And foxes are, uh, well, snakes. There's, there's a better example. Snakes are bad guys. Um, basically any rodent or vermin is a bad guy. And then any, uh, lovable, but mice are creature. also rodent. <laughs> are they? Yeah. Well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> they are but... the mice, the voles, the, but they're the, the, they're the moles. Cute. They're the cute rodents. Yeah. So. yeah Actually, right. Ugly in my notes, I did cute think, are good. yeah, I did think like the word mouse itself, it just sounds cuter than rat. But I think it's a lot to do with how we're conditioned, right? Like if you look at a lot of the children's books, like mouse, it just sounds so much nicer. And it's often used to represent the cute um, version of the rodent. And then rat, and if you think about, you know, oh, that person's a rat, that has a bad connotation, right? That has a bad meaning. So therefore we associate rat with bad. Now I'm looking up the etymology of mouse. <laughs> I, it is, I was hoping you would. <laughs> it is, in fact, I'm sure these are both Old English words. Um, yeah, mouse, small rodent. Uh, also, muscle of the arm. Oh, so mouse and muscle are related words. Oh, my gosh, you guys, I'm losing my mind here. That is so interesting. Um, <laughs> I have big, so strong late muscles. late Old English rat. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they are both... Uh, Oh, so I, I wonder, yeah, I, I'd be interested to know, because mice, maybe mice were not desirable, that people kept cats, uh, yeah. you know, maybe less so in medieval Europe, but like mice and rats, they didn't want them around, but maybe they did recognize uh, mice as cuddlier and nicer and gave them a better word. I, I don't know. I'd be interested. I, I don't know who started it. But it sounds like this would be a topic for one of your YouTube videos, Craig. You don't know what? I don't know who started it with mouse being the good kind of oh, rodent. Yeah, yeah. Brian yeah. Jakes, of course. Uh, uh-huh, okay, of course. So, so speaking of which, we do have a lot of uh, uh, varied creatures in here. Which one do you want to be and which one do you think you would be? Or no, which one do you think you'd be? No, no, that's right. Yeah, which one would you like to be? Which one would you actually be? I would like to be a badger, but I would probably be <laughs> a hare or a rabbit. Yeah. I'd, I'd be like that. That what, What's his I can't even remember. Some of the names are so slippery on my mind. I read this all in one day. Um, and so the, the rabbit... That, Basil uh, speaks like an old British soldier. Basil, that's right. Basil, of course, yeah. his name is Basil. Of course, it's Basil. Because uh-huh. <laughs> he, yeah, it, it's very like 19th century kind of uh, 
colonialist army, good old boy, <laughs> British uh, officer speech. Um, mm-hmm. He's he was a fun character. Here's a tangent for I you. Think uh, I think I just like the great mouse detective. There's the mouse, Basil, and Radigan, mice and rats. British. Yes. Ties in. Tangent over. Yes. Go. All right. What, what do you got, Panda? Um, I would like to be Warbeak, um, the sparrow, the baby sparrow. But I think in yeah. reality, I would be more like Cornflower. So. Oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> she's more of the like, girl, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the supporting character, the girl, you know, providing support for everybody else. More of the like operations kind of person. That's noble. Good and noble. <laughs> and I love the little bird. I kill yeah. you. Yeah, yes. He's very, very funny. The, the sparrow. Ken, the what spara. would you be? I, f- I feel like I would want to be a sparrow. Or, <laughs> um, or, or to be a badger, but I would probably end up being a newt or a squirrel that does nothing but suck on his hand. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Ken? Did you mean to tee up eight different jokes for me? Was this on purpose or do you do you just naturally walk into these? I think it's natural. natural I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let these go and just I'll let the listeners fill in the blanks with all the jokes here. Uh, When you got nothing else. Never mind. Okay. All right. (laughs) So Ken Ken's a squirrel. And we all know what that's code for. That's fine. Uh, okay. Emperor Claptrap asks, what of the book does or doesn't hold up from how you remember it? Um, or just, you know, it can in your case from your first time through. Um, what does or doesn't hold up? I will say I was surprised by how much I was okay with his use of exclamation points. <laughs> And I'm I'm dead serious here. I was, I took note of them. I mean, from the first page. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, I'll uh, I'll open up the first page and we can oh read just a little bit. Um, let's see. Unable to stop, he went tumbling, cowl over tail, bump! Exclamation point! Like that's its own paragraph, right? Set aside. The young mouse squealed in dismay. He rubbed tenderly at his damp, snub nose while slowly taking stock of where he had landed. Colon directly at the feet of Abbot Mortimer, exclamation point. And if this were a book for adults, I would be rolling my eyes so hard at the the, the bumps, a lot of onomatopoeia, a lot of exclamation points, uh, but it's not, it's for kids. And this is like, a, it's a great way to signal emotion to them outside of just the words that you're using. Um, we probably don't use exclamation points enough as adults in our reading Speak and writing for outside of text, right? We all, LOL, exclamation point. <laughs> Just say, but, I, uh, I feel like he was a man, uh, he was a man before his time. He would have fit in very nicely <laughs> in the internet age where everybody is exclamation points all the time. Well, I was going to say outside of texting, you know, if it's like official yeah. writing, it, you, we're too cool to use exclamation points as adults. In, I mean, or, or, or capitalization or nowadays. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Craig, you're not you and I are and not that you're not that far in age from me. I, I feel like we're in about the same generation. You're just a little older. But in my generation, sure. in our professional writing, in emails at work, exclamation points exclamation marks are they exist and they are they exist in a plenty so uh i kind of i can't i have evidence to contradict you (laughs) i guess i'm thinking more of adult books not informal writing but formal writing got it Yeah. yeah books articles essays whatever anyway uh so uh the question is what does or doesn't hold up um the the grammar held up for me <laughs> i i could see myself getting annoyed but i was like you know what this is actually really quite charming and i as i imagined handing it to my 10 year old i was like oh you know what this is really going to help uh help him understand it 
Yeah. I'm going to have to think about what doesn't hold up because I was so charmed, re-charmed by this book that I'm struggling to think of something that doesn't hold up. But what did you guys uh, enjoy I f- in that I feel vein? like recognizing that I just barely read this like five minutes ago, you know, comparatively speaking, but understanding that it was written in 1986, I feel like the book, and I might just be jaded uh, from, you know, years of what we've been reading and I haven't perused the, the young adult and children's literature market, but I feel like the uh, innocence for lack of a better word of this book would not sell today i feel like i feel like he wrote it at the right time and if he tried to write it in in 2020 instead of 1986 i feel like he would have found a hard market so hmm i don't know about the uh, maybe i you could make the argument that we're a more cynical society now than we were 40 years ago that's the argument i'm trying to make yeah, and it's, uh, I think as a general proposition, I'm okay with agreeing with that, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I think there are other reasons that this book wouldn't get published today, um, because with like the neat divisions between mice and rats and whatnot, I think a lot of people would cry racism yep. uh, if you tried to publish it today. That's um, another reason, yeah. It, there, in fact, there's one there's one passage that I, I did get a little bit of a chuckle about when Clooney, the rat, is being introduced and um uh you know there's all these rumors about where Clooney came from this famous uh you know kind of dread pirate rat almost and it's like some thought he was portuguese others said he was from a land across the oceans you know far away and it's you know he stops just short of using the word swarthy to to describe Clooney the rat um and anyway, so so there are little moments where I'm like, yeah, this probably wouldn't um, wouldn't pass muster with a uh, modern editor. And that's neither a complaint nor a celebration, just an observation. No. Um, just an observation. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Ken, I kind of steamrolled your point. You can keep no, going. No, no, you've made you. I, I feel like uh, I feel like that was the point that I was making. So. Well, there done. you go. Panda, you got anything for that question? Um, I, I don't really have any like items that didn't hold up. I think I wish I remembered the first time reading through what I thought of the rhymes and riddle, whether or not that was like mm. compelling to me as an adult reading it. I'm like, it's, it's not the worst but it's also like fairly simplistic and maybe that that's like enough. Com- there's enough complexity in there for a kid. Um, but as an adult, it's like, it's, it's fun, but not as compelling. And uh, riddles are hard. Like riddles in fiction is just hard because if you try to be too clever, um, you try too hard, it, a lot of times it actually doesn't work very well. Um, so th- that that's a risk. Yeah, I think it, that kind of goes hand in hand with the point earlier about the the violence being uh, it, it's not it's not sanitized, but it's a kid friendly brutality. There's right. a phrase for you. I want that on a T-shirt. Kid friendly <laughs> oh, brutality. Um, friendly. And uh, anyway, but with uh, it's like everything about this book uh, from the plot to the mysteries to the romance with is it cornflower cornflower everything about it is is correct and real somehow like it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel false, but it feels very, very simple. Uh, so yeah, I guess if that's going to drive you crazy as a reader, then, uh, then the whole book will, because everything about it is super simple. Yep. Um, agreed. Yeah. Speaking Ken, you, you mentioned the book being published in 1986. That reminded me, I, I was going to make a joke. Like if I had written a, a recap at the beginning, it would have been about Brian Jakes writing a 1986 novel called Redwall. It takes place in East Berlin. 
Uh, oh dear. <laughs> it's all about the struggle to <laughs> How'd I miss that? Anyway. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, where were we? We've got one more question. Uh if you haven't read this book, how much of what we hear about do you think is true in universe about Martin the Warrior? And can that teach us anything IRL? Um, so I guess like the kind of the legends that they look back on with Martin the Warrior. Um, in this book, oh, th this was Sun Gamer, by the way, uh, who I don't think we've gotten any questions from before. So thank you, Sun Gamer, for submitting that one. So how much of what we hear about Martin the Warrior in universe is true? And can that teach us anything IRL? Um, I'm happy for you guys to jump in on this, but my initial inclination is to say that again, with, uh, with the idea that these books are so simple, um, we can, we're not dealing with like unreliable narrators or, um, you know, his historians who are trying to obscure this or that fact by, you know, covering it up with this more exciting thing. It's, you know, I don't know. There's, I, I don't feel inclined to disbelieve any of it in universe. What about you guys? I mean, I feel like, sorry, go ahead, Panda. Oh, um, I think part of the whole thing of this story is that, Matthias is like a reincarnated version of Martin the warrior. And you're kind of like reading the story of what, what could have been a Martin the warrior story, but it's Matthias uh, filling in that role. And to me, that just seems like it's a pretty plausible story. Um, Martin probably went through something similar, um, you know, with like the courage, the like, they even said that Matthias is like probably about the same age that Martin was um, when, you know, he started out being a warrior. So I, I think what we're told in the story is it's true in the universe. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Ken. I feel like I'm, I'm struggling to remember much about Martin, the warrior um, that I would, disbelieve i mean apart from the fact that it's legend and legend tends to get exaggerated through time and the, the heroic moments or the the prevailing lessons we're supposed to take get amplified and the things that you want to forget about get left behind uh so he's pictured as ferocious and right. and heroic and brave and that's that's what we're supposed to uh, focus on but there's i don't feel like i have enough information about martin the warrior yet because I'm only one book in, uh, but I don't, yeah. I don't know why I wouldn't believe it. I mean, I know as, as we go on, we are going to read two prequels. There's Martin, the warrior and Moss flower. Uh, and we're going to read them in publication order, which means we're going to read Moss flower next, which is the prequel to Redwall. And then we're going to read Martin, the warrior, which is the prequel to uh, Moss flower. <laughs> But uh, there's publication order, so it's good. Anyway, but my point just being, we, we will read a couple of others. And if memory serves, and this is these are very old and, you know, probably untrustworthy memories, but the series, it does expand. The world expands a lot and gets more complex. But um, I, I doubt that we're ever going to have to worry about things like unreliable narrators. Well, I think um, to Sun Gamer's question about like what lessons can be learned, I think the lesson that um, Mar Matthias gets at the end, um, I think it was from, it was from one of the abbots, I think, where they were saying like, hey, the sword is just a tool, basically. The sword is neither good or bad. It's about who is using it and if i extrapolate that like why did martin the warrior hide the sword at all why didn't he just leave it you know to the abbey um but i think it's 
in my reading, it's because he wanted somebody who was really worthy of it to get the sword, like they had to actually work for it and there were lessons to be learned along the way. Um, and it's not, it's mm. not something, it's a responsibility not to be taken lightly. And also it's, um, the whole time. <laughs> one of those, uh, it definitely feels like one of those, um, uh, why did, why did the story happen this way? Because we needed a story, you know, like why, why did he hide the sword? Why didn't he just, uh, you know, bury it uh -huh. with himself and you could grab it? Well, cause we needed a story to happen and that's fine. Um, but, uh, pulling on that thread a little bit, I found it very interesting that in the middle of this very um, uh, English, very English, and very, um, I, I don't know if I would call it Catholic or just Christian, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're Church of England mice, I, I don't know, uh -huh. um, but it feels very Catholic. Anyway, in the middle of this very Christian, very English story, we get Martin, the warrior, being reincarnated as Matthias. Mm -hmm. you know, or is it reincarnation? I don't know. He's coming to him in dreams, but it's like, hey, you're the spitting image. You are the reborn Martin, the warrior. It sure feels a lot like, <laughs> like reincarnation. I'd be actually very interested to hear on Discord from uh, any of our more traditionally Christian friends, uh, or if either of you have any expertise, what the deal is with um, re-ensouling, you know, someone in kind of Catholic uh, theology and uh, if I cannot anything, speak to that. <laughs> yeah, if there's anything yeah. approaching this this concept, or if this is just kind of like what we needed for the story, I don't know. Felt very. I don't bad. know. I think there's just something about like, um, it that that's like the kind of magical element of mm. this book, because really, there's no magic, explicit magic in right. here, um, but that part just does seem a bit mystical and you kind of just take it for what it is like why does Matthias hear these voices what do, why does Clooney have these dreams right and it's speaking about hey there's something deeper at work potentially mm, um yeah. destiny fate whatever providence yeah um yeah, what oh shoot, what was I gonna say? Panda, you you put something interesting in my head and then it got driven right out again. Um something about the drink I you know, I, I I'm losing it. I'm losing it, you guys. What else do you got? What else do you want to talk about? I'll think of it in a second. Okay. Something that did really hold up in this reread. Yeah. The descriptions of the food. Uh, what did we get? Like yeah. three feasts in this? I'm trying to remember. Well, I mean, there is like the major feast, but then there's just like different mentions of food mm -hmm. all throughout. I like tabbed my my book. Well, you can't really see, but like I color coded <laughs> it. So like the mentions of food, significant mentions yes. of food, I would color code it and tab it. <laughs> but like seriously, the first, it's like the second chapter. Um, or the third chapter, the third chapter is when the, the, um, feast takes place to like celebrate the abbot, right? The Jubilee. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. And oh my goodness. I, I was drooling basically. Um, <laughs> I would love to be at the feast. And the, and the, they're, they're drinking, um, I noticed uh, nut brown ale. The October nut brown ale, which I don't know what that is. I guess it's made from nuts, fermented nuts, but I would like to try some. Well, it's probably just the color, right? And brown ale, I looked this up, you guys, because <laughs> I'm a super nerd, especially when it comes did. to drinks. But uh, brown ale, uh, the English variation of brown ale came about in the 17th century. So we're dealing with... Uh, mice that were at least in you know the 1600s okay <laughs> uh -huh. they also drink uh the the bad guys drink barley wine um mm. 
Drew McCaffrey from Inking Out Loud will be very disappointed to hear that as he is a major <laughs> barley wine fan. But the bad guys drink barley wine, and that has been around for a long, long, long time. But <laughs> in its current English style originated in the 15th century. So anyway, we're at least in the 1600s with these mice. Oh, that was my go. question. This brought it up. Sorry, no, I, I am going to write it down so that we can keep talking about food <laughs> if you'd like, Panda. Well, I mean, okay, I just want to read a little bit because so the listeners can salivate with us, you know. Um, tender freshwater shrimp garnished with cream and rose leaves, deviled barley pearls in acorn puree. Like, I would like to go to this restaurant, please. <laughs> Apple and carrot chews, which I'm not really sure what that is, but that sounds great. Oh, Marinated... that's going to be, like a, gonna be a, like a Turkish delight kind of substance. Um, you think so? Substance. Yeah, yeah with like a, yeah, carrots and apples. Six Marinated six cabbage snacks. stalks steeped in creamed white turnip with nutmeg. And there was the, the fish, which was the um, grayling a la red wall. Like, yes, I would please, beginning. I would like this restaurant to exist. <laughs> this would be, if, you know, this might be a fun YouTube series, but if you could make the Redwall uh, recipes uh, and do them well, this would be the hipsterest restaurant of all time. You think so? Um, with that ingredient list that you're talking oh my okay gosh. true true if you what okay read off some of those again read them again <laughs> and, and read them but do it with an imaginary like beard and a waxed mustache i can't uh, okay now read it again no 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 um do it okay 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 <clears throat> i don't have a mustache how does a hipster sound <laughs> Tender freshwater shrimp garnished with cream and rose leaves, deviled barley pearls and acorn puree, apple and carrot chews, marinated cabbage stalks steeped in creamed white turnip with nutmeg. Yeah, no, it's uh, this is straight hipster, you guys. So, <laughs> this is brilliant. Um, I feel okay, like this has cool. been done. Hasn't there? Hasn't there been uh, lists or something of? the best uh, food recipes in science fiction and fantasy and stuff. And yeah, if you take that probably a bit farther and actually, actually create that restaurant. Oh yeah. Uh, there is there a go. Craig, you're on the red wall cookbook. On oh my Wikipedia. goodness. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is a real thing. It is um, by Brian Jakes. It, it, it has him listed as the author. Okay. The book features numerous oh. recipes for dishes mentioned in the red wall series. Um, I'm just going to add that to spring, my cart summer, now. autumn, and winter recipes. This is amazing. Mold cider, shrimp and hot root soup. I remember that one. October ale. Okay, you can. Can you make your own October ale? I think I need to get this book and yeah. uh, do a little <laughs> YouTube series. And absolutely, Craig, uh, Professor Craig in in the kitchen. It's the next <laughs> with the knife. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay. Food and we should before we go off of that, we should mention when people talk about food in books, two names come up. It's Brian Jakes and George R. R. Martin, right? Mm. And there are probably some others as well, but like those are always the top of the list. These guys love describing food. Uh and for my money, I I I will need to read martin again and we will soon apparently but uh to remind myself i don't think he did it as mouth-wateringly as brian jakes did well the, i could be wrong Not the red wall series it's more cozy at least this book it's more cozy it's definitely yes. got the cottage core aesthetic you know i just i just learned what that was last oh year did you <laughs> uh, i had no idea yeah that this book is cottage I was like, core. are you dressed as a character? It's just no, I'm just cottage core. I'm like, all right, I, <laughs> I I think I get what that is just by the word. That's great. Enlighten us here. Uh cottage core. No, I won't enlighten you. Go Google it, Ken. Oh my god. Right, I'm gonna go look it up. Yeah. And everybody else can do the same. It's just dressing like I don't know. It's addressing an aesthetic. and acting and decorating 
Yeah, okay. aesthetic that celebrates simple living, particularly in the countryside. Which, by the way, it's really funny when uh, at the beginning of this episode you were talking about the like basically British versus French, um, whatever rivalry. Mm. There were parts of this book, especially when they were describing the food, that for me, because my personal experience was um, in the French countryside, I was thinking of the French countryside, even though it is, as you said, very British in in the rest of the tone of this book. But do the Brits really eat this well? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Um, Although, you know, with the ingredient list that you gave, uh, it's, yeah, that could be plenty British. And also, (laughs) there's the whole thing about um, when you're looking at the the northern French countryside versus the southern English countryside, they're the same freaking thing. I mean, it's just (laughs) the landmass split at some point, and they got separated by the channel. Um, But... I lived in Normandy and Brittany uh, and I could have sworn I was in the Shire at times. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, so I know, I know what you mean by that, mm-hmm. but okay. So I've got a question for you guys uh, as we go for a few more minutes here. You mentioned Panda that there's no magic in this book uh, to speak of. There are prophecies, there are dreams, Um, there's possible reincarnation of some kind. We don't know for sure, but is this a fantasy book or is it something else, a medieval fable, uh, or something else? Would you guys say that a book has to have magic to be fantasy? No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, cause I would classify this as fantasy. I mean, it's got anthropomorphic animals, so, um, that's fantastical enough to me. Sure. And it's in a medieval but we, you know, when we think people typically. When we think of a fantasy novel, Animal Farm doesn't usually get thrown around as a fantasy that's novel. That's true. A, it's a fable. That's true. Right. I anyway. guess it depends on what you're trying. I mean, does it, like you asked, does it have to have magic in order to be a fantasy novel? And I'm trying to think of any fantasy novels that we've read in the past that didn't have an abundance of magic. Right. Um, nothing's coming Panda, to mind right think? immediately, but. I mean, I classify it as fantasy, um, even though there's not mm-hmm. really like more traditional kind of magic in it. And I think it's just what I grew up knowing as fantasy is like talking animals to me in this like it's like winnie the pooh in the hundred acre woods like do you consider that fantasy i think it falls under the broader genre of fantasy yeah yeah so i was thinking as i was reading through this and thinking of this question of matilda which Mm -hmm. another book that i haven't read since i was you know seven or something um but Matilda has telekinetic powers, right? Yeah. But it's set in the real world and, you know, it's not a fantastical setting and it's not like a Harry Potter urban fantasy thing where, ooh, there's a whole secret society of people with telekinetic powers. It's not like that. She just happens to have these uh, telekinetic powers. Matilda would classify in my mind as a fantasy not necessarily because of the kinetic powers but because it's essentially a wish fulfillment for yeah. her for that character it's it's a fantasy for a kid to be able to to take on the what do they call it trunchbull <laughs> i think yes yeah um it there's that wish fulfillment and redwall kind of fits into that category for me where look it, these characters aren't running around throwing magical fireballs and levitating and doing whatever else, but it's, it's very much a, it, it like the way that adult men watch um, James Bond movies or something. It's like, Oh yeah, I could, do I don't know where you were going with that. that. <laughs> <laughs> like I could, I could be James Bond. Yeah, sure. 
And for a kid, a book like this is like, oh, no, it's I, I could wield a sword and fight off yeah. a bad rat, you know, evil rat, bad guy, whatever. Um, for the for so the record, Panda, wish fulfillment I know in a medieval setting. Sorry, what? <laughs> Panda, I know where you were going, but I was oh. thinking sports. The reason men okay. watch sports <laughs> is wish fulfillment. Uh-huh. I could totally have done that if, you know. Yeah, yeah, throw yeah. football over them their mountains. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If only the coach had put me in. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, anyway, I agree with you, so, Craig. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah, I would call it fantasy. Um, all right. We should start wrapping up, you guys. Do you have any final thoughts on Redwall? Ken, let's start with you. I didn't write it down, but I think it was I, I wish I had now because it was uh, somewhere like the, the first paragraph of chapter 15 or something. I don't, I don't remember which chapter it was, but, but the first paragraph in uh, I was reading it and I literally rarely does this happen, but I literally, I stopped at the end of that paragraph and I went, that is good prose right there. And I, I and you didn't have to go down. back and look for it. I didn't write it down. I wish I had because <laughs> that was just, I, I was too busy, you know, moving on. But, uh, but whatever it was, I thought that, uh, I thought that the author had done a good job of writing well uh, for a, you know, since, since I'm me for a juvenile mind, you know, so. <laughs> it worked on you, right, Ken? It did. It really did. Um, I I agree, obviously. I mean, we've kind of already talked about this a little bit. Um, but he does have a way of making things really easy for kids, even with his language. Uh, my favorite chant, you know, there's a few times when characters are like uh, pumping each other up or whatever. But the it's so simple the rats at the end as they're getting ready to storm the the keep one more time or the, the abbey one more time their chant is clooney clooney kill 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> they just say that over and over again i'm like how simple it's just so great you gotta keep a chant that. simple you know especially when oh, it's absolutely. over tens of yeah. however many rats he has rats and weasels and whatever um speaking hey, of hey, his ho, ho, these <laughs> damn mice have got to go <laughs> Speaking of the writing, um, something I really did appreciate is how uh, good the author is at imagery and like showing versus telling. So an example is like going back to the feast. He just says, Matthias's young head was in a whirl. He could not remember being so happy in all his life. Like, and this is about him eating the food. Like, he was so content. And that was just such a nice way, a very visual way of expressing how content Matthias was um, at the feast. And then there was another image um, later on where he says, each flower and blade of grass was decked out in jeweled patentry with necklaces of sparkling raindrops. And he just really has a way with words. Like you can see this and you can imagine it. So I think that's pretty important for like children's books, because if you think about it, when you're starting to learn to read, a lot of it is starting from picture books. So you're very visual as a reader and then you move Mm -hmm. on to more and more words. So it's a nice gap, like a nice bridge into the adult books where it's just words. When you have these words that, paint a picture in your mind and you can see it yeah yeah i'm with you on that uh my final thought we didn't really talk much about individual characters and their well characteristics but um what i did want to talk about matthias just a little bit as uh, my final thought and why i just adore this book as kind of childhood wish fulfillment type of thing where Matthias seamlessly, I felt, uh, I noticed it. So I guess I can see the seams, but if I'm a nine-year-old, I'm not going to see the seams. He vacillates between kind of a bumbling, uh, clumsy (laughs) character and a really capable one. Like all the adults are like, oh yeah, no, that Matthias, he's got a great head on his shoulders. They include him in all of the decisions about the defense of the Abbey and 
send him on important missions and whatnot, but he's just this young little untested mouse. And so he trips over his robes and whatnot, but then he'll pick up a tree branch and fight off 12 rats at once, you know, where as a kid, again, you know, everything has to be filtered through that lens of who is the audience for this book. As a kid, you are probably bumbling and awkward and you, know, you you trip over your feet a lot as they're growing too fast for you. Uh, but you have that image of yourself in your mind as really smart, eminently capable, um, always ready to take on 12 bad guys at once, right? <laughs> uh, it's just, it's a perfect encapsulation. Matthias is a perfect encapsulation of what it is to be like a preteen boy. In, <laughs> in some ways. So yeah. I, I really, really enjoy his character quite a lot. Yeah. And I would say like um, this book and a lot of like very similar books, like uh, Tamora Pierce's books, like Anne of Green Gables, the boxcar children, why those books really mm. resonate with children is because of exactly what you said, where it's like they portray children as children, but also give them the credit that, Children are capable. They can solve mysteries. They can solve problems and be the hero at the end, you know? Mm. So I, I, as an adult, I still really enjoy reading those books, part, partly because of nostalgia. But honestly, I still relate to them because when I'm at work, like, I would like to think I'm that very capable person. But then when I'm in my, you know, personal life with my friends, that silliness comes out, you know, the more like childish kind of whims come out, you know, you know, when we hang out in person, you see, you see a different side um, than what I present on air. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is exactly who you are. What you see is what you get. <laughs> Everybody now knows you to a T. Yeah. Um, no, peeling back the curtain a little bit. Panda and I have had a few chances to hang out uh, for extended periods of time, and it's always lovely. Um, but you just, you do seem very professional, very buttoned up at all times. Mm, so yes. I'm going to need you to relax a little bit next Yes. <laughs> I did learn something from uh, this book, okay, though. Guys. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did learn something. Yeah. Um, I learned what a water butt is. I don't know if you knew what a water butt water is. Butt? Yes, because I saw the, the words in this book and I was like, what the heck is a water butt? Because um, one of the rats was using it as a drum. Spell and it. A, uh, water. And then the other word is butt, B-U-T-T. -T. So it's as it sounds, oh, okay. water, water butt. butt. <laughs> but it's literally just water a container to hold water yeah. of any size. And I did not know that that was a word. Or a thing, but I, I learned that yeah, from this book. Yeah, maybe I'd never. I don't think I ever used that. Huh? I don't think anybody water. does. To buttress water. Well, yes. you know, uh, my butt certainly retains plenty of water uh, at my age. <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe that's where we're going to use that word. I don't know. It's, uh, okay. it's when it stops retaining the water that you have to worry. <laughs> oh my God. There you go. Nice. That's a good turn. Nice. Ken and Todd have uh, definitely, they've reached a certain age <laughs> where, you know, Ken, I know you like to go to the gym. Do you have to be careful when you do your squats these days? Yeah. Let's just say I focus on upper body more and more these days. <laughs> on that note, everybody, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, this is Redwall. Like I said, we're going to do two more. Um, I'll be interested to see what we come up with as far as talking about different aspects of those other books, because, you know, this is a, it's a simple book. It's a simple series. We'll see what we come up with to talk about in those. Uh, but I am looking forward to it. In fact, I'm going to ask all of you to read along with us. Like I said, we're going to do Moss Flower and Martin the Warrior. And I would love to get your questions and perspectives in Discord before we record the next episode. So, uh, Ken, Panda, thanks so much for participating. And uh, everybody who's listening or watching on YouTube, thank you for doing that. Go find us at thelegendarium.com. And we will see you all next time. 
Oh, and go to the, 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 what's the thing called? The meetup in Salt Lake. Go to the meetup. Yeah, yeah. meet us there. February 2024, (laughs) 10th anniversary, baby.